if you are new here, normally we would have some information for you. Today we have donuts and coffee for you, so that'll have to suffice. Uh, you come back next week, we'll get connected with you a little bit better. But let me pray. We're going to dive into the Word of God. Let me pray as we do so. God, I really am amazed at uh, how appropriate and timely your word is for us today. I pray that as we take a few moments uh, to look at your word this morning, that you would give us insight for ourselves, that you would give us wisdom. God, that you would uh, help us to grab a hold of truth for our own lives. Help us to be uh, people now who are not just hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think I'm going to take this off. I didn't shave this morning, and I'm hearing my beard scratch. So I'm just going to try it like that, and if the wind's a problem, we'll fix it. See, our sound guys are so good. All right, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up to the book of Daniel. We're going to, I'm going to actually just kind of tell the story, and then we're going to go back into the story and pull out some application. I'm going to be telling uh, sort of Daniel 4 through the beginning of Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to kind of just walk through the, the nature of that story with you. Uh, but before we do that, I want to read you an article uh, from the Babylon Bee. How many of you know of the Babylon Bee? You do, yes. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Babylon Bee is actually a Christian satire uh, news site. The headline reads, Local Christian counting on the kingdom of God as a backup plan just in case favorite political party fails him. <laughs> Lake Charles, Louisiana, local Christian guy Tenney announced Monday that he's still clinging to the hope of the com coming kingdom of God just in case his political party happens to fail him. In quote, on the off chance that my political party doesn't usher in peace on earth, I guess there's always Jesus, he said thoughtfully as he opened his Bible for morning devotions, but spent most of the time checking the Twitter feeds of his favorite political pundits to see on which front the culture war would be fought today. It's good to have a plan B to fall back on, Tenney said. However, he doesn't expect his cho chosen political party to fail him. He pointed out that they have money, power, and the promise to use the government to do stuff that he approves of. <laughs> what I want to look at this morning uh, is the kingdom of God, but more specifically, I want to look at political engagement. How many of you um, feel like uh, some people are making errors in the way that they engage politically today? Okay, can you point to who you think uh, is making those errors? <laughs> That's right, one big sweeping point. Now, what I want to talk to you about today, uh, there's this really fascinating example in the story of Daniel um, of someone who was politically engaged. This is who I want to speak to this morning. Those who are feeling like uh, maybe a little bit helpless in uh, their own political engagement in the way that they engage um, and I want to talk to those who maybe feel like um, they 
they should be jumping into something, but they don't feel comfortable with all of it, and so that maybe there's some, a little bit of confusion there. Like maybe I should do more, I should say more, I should be more upset, but I'm not, and I'm not sure what I think about that, um, regardless of where you fall. We live in a world today where um, two things are happening in regards to political engagement. Number one, uh, you, we are all uh, taking in media intended to incite. You understand what I mean by that? Media intended to incite. It's intended to make you angry. It's intended to cite, uh, incite your lust, uh, your anger, your strong emotional response. Not only that, but if you have any sort of social media presence online, what's happening, whether you're aware of it or not, is that social media is learning your political leanings and funneling you slowly into a narrower and narrower window of political information, meaning uh, slowly over time they figure out, oh, Aaron likes these stories and not these stories, so let's get rid of all of these stories from what he sees and let's fine tune this a little bit more. And over time, uh, the internet gets to know you a little bit better and says, ooh, what about this? What about this? What about this? And you end up eventually in sort of a hyper, hyper unrealistic version of sort of your political views. So that's the world we live in. Daniel didn't have social media. Well, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna look into his life and draw some truths for political engagement. So here's the story. Are you ready for the story? Yeah. I'm just gonna tell you the story. There was a guy named Daniel. He lived a long time ago. You'd find him in the Bible shortly after Ezekiel. Daniel was a young Jew. Uh, this was introduced the last two weeks. Daniel was a young uh, Jew who was captured and taken off to a foreign country. He was a young man at the time, but he was skilled. He was good looking. He was talented. And so rather than killed or left behind, he was captured and taken to Babylon. Uh, where we pick up our story is in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. Uh, he says, I had a dream, and the dream went like this. There I was laying on my bed, and I saw a very large tree. And this very large tree provided uh, a place, it provided food, it provided rest and shade for all of the creatures over the entire earth. Everyone that came to it was able to get food. And then, in my dream, after beholding this amazing tree that was providing for everyone on earth, a messenger from heaven came down. And the messenger said, this angelic messenger said, cut down the tree. This is the will of God. Cut down the tree, and yet leave the stump and take an iron band and put it around the stump to keep the stump intact. And then you ever have, uh, you, you guys have had this experience, you have a dream, and then, oops, there goes my notes. You have a dream, and then something switches in your dream that makes no logical sense, but in your dream you don't question it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like you're talking to your mom, and then suddenly she's your sister, and then suddenly it's, you know, Lisa Murkowski. And in your dream, 
you just you just go with it. It doesn't doesn't register that this doesn't make a lick of sense, right? So in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he the the angelic messenger says, "Cut down the tree, wrap the stump with a band, because he's going to lose his mind." The stump is going to lose his mind, and he's going to be with the creatures of the earth for a period of seven years. And in the dream, it begins to refer to the stump in the first person. The stump is going to lose his mind. He's going to wander in the field for seven years, and then he will be restored to power. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and says, that was a weird dream. I've never had a dream of stumps losing their mind. And so he ruminates on this, he thinks about it for quite some time, and he remembers that there's a guy that he knows who interprets dreams. And so the story tells us that he summoned Daniel. He said, Daniel, I've had another dream, and I'd like to, for you to interpret my dream. And so he tells Daniel his dream exactly as he remembers it, and the story tells us that Daniel was appalled at hearing the dream. Nebuchadnezzar kind of picks up on this. He says, Daniel, don't, don't be afraid to tell me what this dream really means. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I wish this dream would be about anyone but you. I wish it would be about your enemies, but it's not. It's about you. You are the tree. And God has established your kingdom as a global superpower. God has established your kingdom. And yet, there's sin. In fact, he he particularly points out, he says, the way that you have treated the poor in your arrogance stands against you. And God intends to cut you down for a period of seven years. And then he says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this is my advice. You got to change your ways. You've got to do differently so as to avoid this outcome. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, thanks for the dream interpretation. You've always been a good friend. And then the story tells us that 12 months went by, and Nebuchadnezzar is standing on the top of his palace. He's looking out over the city of Babylon. And in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar says, man, am I not amazing? Am I not an incredible king? And in that moment, I didn't even know there was a bell in Homer. Did you know there was a bell in Three tolls. I wonder what that meant. <clears throat> Daniel uh, Nebuchadnezzar loses his sanity. And uh, for a period of seven years, he's literally wandering through the fields. They can't contain him physically. And at the end of seven years, This part of the story is actually told to us in the first person from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. It says that I regained my sanity and I acknowledged the sovereignty of Daniel's God. He rules over all the kingdoms of the earth and his will is always perfectly accomplished. And that's the end of the story of Nebuchadnezzar. At the beginning of chapter 5, with no warning, we're introduced to another king, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. And it says that Belshazzar was throwing a huge party. He invited a thousand people who were in positions of leadership to his party. 
And this party is just really cranking. They've got the best wine. They're having a great time. It says that the king had his, uh, his wife and his concubines there with him. They're having a great party. And then suddenly a hand appears, an uh, unattached hand. This is not a dream, so it was disturbing. Uh, an unattached hand shows up in the room and begins to write a message on the wall. Um, it's too bad they didn't have smartphones because that would probably go pretty fast on social media. A hand appears and it writes a message on the wall and Belshazzar is very disturbed by this. In fact, it says that his knees grew weak, his face grew pale, and his wife approaches him and says, hey, you know there's a guy. There's a guy that uh, your dad knew his name is Daniel, and he's probably the guy that you should summon and have explain this. And so Belshazzar calls Daniel. Again, this is a generation later. Nebuchadnezzar has died. He calls Daniel, and Daniel comes in and says, uh, so here's the deal. I'll tell you what the message means. First of all, it means the days of your kingdom have been numbered. Secondly, it means that you have been weighed and found wanting. Also, number three, you know the Medes and the Persians? They're going to destroy your kingdom. And then it says, and that night, that night, without a battle, the Medes and the Persians took over the city of Babylon, and Belshazzar was put to death. Well, if you're Daniel and you have any position of authority, it's probably a little bit of a nerve-wracking time. Chapter 6 begins, and it says, Darius, king of the Medes, recognized in Daniel uh, some gifting, some special ability, and he put Daniel in charge. In fact, it says he intended to make Daniel in charge of his entire kingdom, this new political power. And all of Darius's officials became jealous. And so they looked for a way to bring a condemnation against Daniel to disqualify him. And it says that despite their best efforts, they could not find any evidence of corruption, any evidence of neglect of duty, any evidence of a lack of faithfulness in the life of Daniel. And then comes the story of the lion's den. You remember that one? So that's our little story in the book of Daniel. What I want to read for you is three descriptions given of Daniel by three different people in this story. I want to read these descriptions verbatim. The first is from Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, verse 8. He says, again, in the first person, but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, meaning he had named him. And then he says, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods? And I related the dream to him. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king who does not recognize God as God, Says, and then I called Daniel, and if I was to describe Daniel to you, I would describe him this way. There is a spirit in him 
that comes from God. And if I was to describe that spirit to you, I would describe it as a holy spirit. Isn't that fascinating? He says there's something about Daniel. There's, there's a spirit in Daniel that is holy, meaning set apart, meaning different. He's not like everyone else in his field. You remember, there was a whole pile of magicians and conjurers, those who would divine the will of God that Daniel had actually rescued. But Nebuchadnezzar says there's a spirit in Daniel that sets him apart. He's different. There is a holy spirit of the gods in him. There was a quality to Daniel's life that was recognized as otherworldly. The second description comes from the queen, the wife of Belshazzar. This is how she describes Daniel. Daniel 5, verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There it is again. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, the conjurers, and the diviners. And this was because of an extraordinary spirit in him, knowledge, insight, interpretation of dreams, the explanation of enigmas, and I love this description, and the solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So the queen's description is that Daniel was a man of illumination. Uh, illumination means to shed light on, right? So he could take something that was dark to someone else and shed a light on it. He was a man of insight and wisdom and has a knack because of his insight and wisdom, because of his knowledge, he has a knack for solving difficult problems, which I find fascinating because both kings, he confronted with what was basically really, really bad news from the Lord. The third description this comes from the politicians who worked for Darius, the third king. Daniel 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 3. And then this Daniel, he began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed, and here it is again, an extraordinary spirit. And the king, the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners... And the satraps begin trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. And here it is. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So three observations that are lessons for us today, and then we're gonna wrap this back around to political engagement. Three observations. The first is this, Daniel's opportunity for influence was a product of his reputation. Daniel's opportunity for influence was a direct product of his reputation. 
Nebuchadnezzar says, oh no, I remember this guy. Belshazzar's wife says, oh no, I remember a guy. He has a certain reputation. The officials working for Darius discover this reputation. Daniel's opportunity for influence was a product of his reputation. He had a reputation for holiness, a spirit of holiness in him that set him apart from the others. If you want influence, be someone known for holiness. Ephesians 5, 26, so that God, or that Jesus might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I would describe holy this way, so it, it technically means set apart, right? Something that is, that is different from everything else. But another description of holiness is that which is beautiful to God. That which is beautiful to the Lord. Behavior, uh, uh, actions that are beautiful to God. Be someone known for holiness. Do your attempts at engagement look the same as the world's? Or are you controlled by a holy spirit? I fished for several years in Bristol Bay. I remember seeing guys going, I'm pretty sure they're controlled by some spirit, but it is not holy. I don't think the Holy Spirit slobbers like that. Just watching people like almost as if possessed by something in pursuit of something. Many of you have witnessed that controlled by a spirit of holiness. So Daniel's opportunity for influence was a product of his reputation. Secondly, Daniel's reputation was the product of his character. He was faithful, uncorrupted, a man of integrity. Jonathan Walker used to always say, I don't know where he heard it, maybe he came up with it, but that character always reveals itself in time. Character always shows up over time. Daniel's reputation was the product of his good character multiplied over many years. You want to have influence, be someone known for integrity, for good character. In fact, Timothy says, or Paul tells Timothy, when you're looking for people who are going to be leaders in the church, first of all, they must be above reproach. And, I love this, and they must have a good reputation with those outside of the church. Be someone known for integrity. If there was a team of people mobilized 
to scrutinize your every dealing? Would they come up empty, handed? Would they come back saying, we cannot find grounds to bring an accusation against this person? Daniel's reputation was the product of his character. Thirdly and lastly, Daniel's character was the product of his view of God. Daniel's sort of what, what seems like this, uh, this sort of resilient faithfulness. We look out at our, at, our, at our world today, we look at our own culture, and we, and we feel like there are some pretty uh, bad characters out there who are part of the mix. We feel like there are some, some players on the political scene who have bad intentions. These guys today don't hold a candle to the world that Daniel lived in. Nebuchadnezzar says, I want everyone to come. If you can't tell me my dream, I'm going to put you all to death. That's how I deal with my issues. And yet Daniel has this unshakable confidence in the God that he serves. That was his wisdom and his insight, was that unshakable confidence, his understanding of who God is, to be able to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. There has never been a more dominant global superpower before or after the kingdom of Babylon. As his dream showed, it covered the entire earth. To be able to stand with grace, with humility, and with courage before the king of Babylon and say, God will have his way. God's ultimate will will be accomplished. The only question left is, what are you going to do in response to that knowledge? To stand before Belshazzar and say, God's will will be accomplished. Daniel's character was the product of his view of God. And here's the clincher for me. And this is what gives me hope. Daniel did not believe that God was dependent on the explicit power mechanisms of man. By power mechanisms, I mean money. I mean influence and position. Daniel looked at all of those things and said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're king of the entire planet. God doesn't need any of those resources to accomplish his purposes. He has not rested his will on the power mechanisms of man. Nebuchadnezzar believed as he accumulated power to himself that he was insulating himself. And God says, no, I will have my way even with you, even now. 
even while serving, Daniel knew God would have his way. Daniel's character was the product of his view of God. Be someone known for wisdom, for insight, for knowledge of God. I love this passage, 1 Corinthians 2. We speak of wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are all passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. Paul says, there is a wisdom that is contrary to the wisdom of the world, that is contrary to the systems of the world. It is a wisdom that God ordained from the very beginning of time and continues to this day, even after generation after generation of men have passed away. And then he says in Colossians 3.16, let this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. If you want to have an influence, be someone known for holiness, be someone known for integrity of character, and be someone known for wisdom. And do not be deceived into thinking that the development of those three is somehow separate from influence or political engagement. What I find, and many of you have seen, is that out of a sense of frustration or desperation or anger, that many today are shouting to the wind regarding their issues. And by shouting to the wind, I mean blasting online messages that seem uh, to serve primarily the purpose of expressing a viewpoint. I need to say this, and I need to say it to everyone. And what many don't realize is that for, for much of your like, relationships through your online presence, and I'm speaking to some of you, uh, to those of you who are in that world, which some of you are not, I realize that. But what you don't realize is that when you broadcast these, these sort of messages of frustration, these uh, political positions, is that for many people, that is, that is the primary content that they have to build a sense of who you are as a person to build what is, in their minds, your reputation. That's the sum total of what they have to work with. And that public re reputation is not gaining you access to opportunities for influence, even relationally. In fact, it might be barring you from them. One of the most fascinating things I've found in my own research of the way the brain learns, you know that our brains actively resist information that represents a contrary viewpoint to what you already believe? When you hear information that is in conflict with your existing set of beliefs, your brain says, ah, no, you should not look at that. You should look away from that, look somewhere else. Don't consider it. 
So in our relationships, we're already predisposed to avoid those kinds of conflicts. And as I, as I broadcast my, my viewpoints, I broadcast my frustration, I broadcast my anger, I'm handing people all of the little pieces that they're using to put together their view of my reputation. And that will be the basis on which I will be summoned, even on a personal level, into their life to have an influence. And I would say, it's not worth it. Daniel was summoned repeatedly by opposing political parties, if you will, because he was known to have a spirit of holiness. He was known to be a man of character. He was known to possess wisdom, all three of which take a lifetime of pursuit to attain. Proverbs 17, 28, one of my favorites, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Even if you were not to say anything, you might end up being regarded as someone with wisdom. And then I'm going to end with this. I want to invite the worship team to come up. As you pursue holiness, as you pursue integrity, and as you pursue wisdom, If you want to make a social impact on any level, I will tell you the most effective strategy known to mankind. Make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. There is nothing that produces social cultural and political revolution more effectively than any group of people committed to disciple making. My generation, actually the generation that's just younger than me, I'm kind of in the middle of this uh, couple of generations, but the generation that's my age and younger is often criticized for uh, a lack of political engagement and motivation. You need to get out and vote. You need to care more. You need to do more. I would say if that's your concern about young people today, make disciples. Instead of standing back and pointing a, a finger of criticism that you would step in and say, hey, let me teach you, let me train you, let me show you how to live a life of holiness. Let me show you what it takes to live a life of integrity. Let me show you how you can accumulate wisdom for yourself so that you can fully accomplish everything that God has called you to. Jesus, in his final conversation, he says, my kingdom is going to be spread across the whole earth, and this is how it's going to happen. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and I want you to grab one person by the hand and I want you to say to them, let me help you follow Christ. Let me assist you as you pursue him. 
the outcome of that is incomprehensibly huge. And guess what? I'm going to tell you a little secret. Not only in Homer, not only in Alaska, and not only in the United States of America, but all over the world, this is happening right now. And guess what? The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. Do those with the wisdom of this age see it? Rarely. Do they acknowledge it? Rarely. Is it happening? Absolutely. And it was Daniel that predicted it. There will be a stone not cut by human hands that will come out of the mountain and it will demolish the kingdoms of the earth and it will eventually cover the entire earth. And that will be God's kingdom. It's happening right now. This is not a hopeless time. It is a hopeful time because we serve a God who is in control. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray as we go into worship. God, I pray that you would replace frustration with peace, anxiety with a calm spirit, that you would replace anger with love, You would replace hopelessness with a strong understanding of your perfect character, of your sovereign power. And that in all of our interactions, through every avenue, would ultimately reflect who you are. It's a good day to be alive, isn't it? Wherever you get your news, there's something they're not telling you. The kingdom of God is advancing all across the face of the earth. It is being advanced by those who are pursuing holiness, integrity, and wisdom in their own lives, and then transferring that, sharing that, imparting that to others through disciple-making. It's happening all over the planet. Hey, we're not done quite yet. Uh, we are meeting at 2 o'clock at the Ingebretson Homestead, two miles out the North Fork, first driveway after the bridge. You bring a side, bring your sunscreen. Uh, we'll meet out there for lunch. We'll start eating at 2 o'clock. Uh, God bless you. Thank you again to our setup crew, our sound crew, all these guys for their work. Thank you, worship team. Enjoy the sunshine. Have a great day.